Thank you for listening to the CVAS Lecture Series Podcast. Today is November 10th, 2015. I'm Mark Boyd, the current president of the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. Today's episode features David Costa, a previous vice president of CVAS, who is speaking in a very active classroom environment. So apologies for the background noises. David is speaking to a Fresno University of Phoenix class on Western Religions on March 7, 2011. His topic is, What is Atheism? You can find his presentation slides in this episode's show notes. Your CVAS membership makes our lecture series possible. All of our speaker events are funded through memberships, fundraising events, online sales, and donations of money and time. If you want to support our efforts, consider becoming a member of CVAS and volunteering with us. Membership also gives you ticket discounts to our events, notification of member-only events, and it gives you access to member-only content on our website. See our website at cvaas.org. O-R-G for more information. Thank you, and now on to our lecture. You have the floor, all right. Hi, everyone. I'm Dave Costa, and we were asked just to kind of come in and talk a little bit about atheism tonight. So I don't know um, how much you know about it going in, so hopefully we'll answer any questions you have, provide a little bit of information, a little background. And please ask questions, and you don't have to save them to the end. I don't mind stopping mid-sentence to address something. Um, just remind me where I left off if we do, because I will forget. So just a little bit about our group quickly. You know, Mark and I have a, you know, we're members of a group here in Fresno, and most of our members are atheists, skeptics, some agnostics. We have a, a few Christians in the group as well. You know, it's not a huge group, but in Fresno, I think uh, it's an important group to have, so. Just want to kind of get into the slides a little bit. So first of all, I just put up some of the common symbols that are used for atheism. There is no official symbol, and you'll hear that a lot as a theme about atheism. There's no official position, and there's no official this and that, and we'll talk a little bit about why. Is that similar uh, to the scarlet letter? What's that? The red A? Yeah, well, in in many ways, it it has a lot to um, tie into that. that. That particular font is actually... Um, from Richard Dawkins' Federation, and that's kind of a symbol that he's adopted, and he's a well-known uh, atheist. He's a biologist, uh, evolutionary biologist. It's written a few books that have gotten a lot of media, and so most people, if they know any atheist, they know him. So, so what is atheism? So hopefully we'll figure that out tonight. So we just did like a regular definition for you there, uh, even with the pronunciation. It's a noun, and there's a lot of different definitions out there. The one we chose was a lack of belief in a god or gods. That doesn't tell you much, so let's unpack it a little bit. Atheism deals with belief, not with knowledge, and atheism makes no positive claims in and of itself. So atheists don't necessarily say, I believe that there is no god, they just lack a belief in a god. And to many atheists, that's an important distinction. This information that was taken from the 2009 um, Pew poll on uh, religious diversity. So, I don't know how well you can see it, but the atheist agnostic, I can combine that category there for the purpose of the graph, and that comes out to about 4% of the U.S. population. 
The more interesting part is the 12% that say nothing in particular. And we don't know why they say nothing in particular, but there are a lot of other studies done by the same organization and um, a lot of research, some done by Dan Dennett, that has shown that you know, a lot of people that are atheists can't come out as atheists. They can't let their friends, their family, their workplaces know for fear that uh, they might be discriminated against. So who knows how many of that 12 could actually be in that other number of 4%. We don't know. We're not claiming that to add those numbers up, but it's just interesting information to bring out. And um, I personally know several people in confidence have told me that they're atheists and don't feel um, they can come out to their friends and family about it. Let me back up to the degrees of atheism, though. Sorry that I passed that one. So this kind of is a continuum. It's not that there's four separate categories, but it's the best way to break it up a little bit. And so strong atheists, those are the ones that are making positive claims. Okay? They're saying, I believe there are no gods. Okay? The weak atheists, uh, I have no belief in a god. And then the anti-theists, the ones that are opposed to religion. And then agnostic. Now, for the purpose of tonight, we're going to kind of define that as a fence-sitter or someone that's undecided. There is a lot more that can be said about agnosticism, and we can handle some of that later in question and answer if you want. But that's the way that most people use the term. They say, oh, I'm an agnostic, I'm undecided. So, what are some misconceptions about atheism? All right? If we get through these and there's anything else that you guys, if you have questions about this slide at all, if you want me to explain any of these, um, so uh, let me ask, yeah. um, no God and no supernatural, is there any difference, any distinction there? I have no belief in any super, anything that is supernatural? I think I would have to have the word supernatural defined, but yes, I, I would say most, most atheists, but no, I mean, I actually know an atheist that's a friend of mine that believes in ghosts. Doesn't believe in God, he believes in ghosts. I know, I'm not sure if he believes in the human spirit or soul, but he believes in ghosts. I don't know how. We haven't got there. We haven't okay. gotten there yet. Right. But, uh, so you could be both. You could be an atheist, but believe that there are supernatural entities, like I know. ghosts. So by, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, yeah. good. Thank good you. question. Thank you. So atheism is a religion. I do hear this one. Uh, people say, oh, the atheists are out there proselytizing. They have their beliefs just like I have my beliefs, and they're all equally valid, and that's their religion. Atheists don't believe in anything. I actually hear this one quite often. Well, if you don't believe in God, then... You don't believe in anything, because God is everything. Um, and I do believe in things, a lot of things. Atheists hate God. We hear this one a lot. Sometimes it's not always so direct. You know, you had a bad experience with a church, or you're mad at God, but oftentimes it is this direct, well, you just hate God. It's kind of like saying you hate something that you don't believe in. So, I, I don't hate the Loch Ness Monster, and I don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster. Atheists worship the devil, that's the next one. Well, last time I checked, the devil's a god, and atheists don't believe in the devil, but there's arguments that religious people make that uh, we're just fooled and pawns of Satan, so we hear that one a lot. Atheists are unhappy, angry people. I'm sure some of them are. Some religious people are. Uh, I don't think that atheism makes you unhappy or angry. I will say that some belief in an afterlife probably makes some people happy. I've been an atheist my whole life, and I consider myself a happy person and get along with most people. I use myself as an example, but this one isn't true, but uh, we do hear it quite often. 
there are no atheists in foxholes. So that means, uh, I'm not sure what they mean to prove by that, because uh, even if it was true, I don't know what it would mean, but they're saying that there's no atheists out there fighting and dying for others. In the military specifically is what this is referring to. I, there happens to be an atheist right over there that was in the military, Mark, as well as my wife. So um, there's two examples that disprove this one. So before I go on to the next slide, do you have any questions about any of these? Atheists are immoral. Yeah, I think that's on the next page. <laughs> it's, it's actually continued. There's so many of them, but I want to pause here. <laughs> Atheists just need to hear the good news. So whatever that good news is that we haven't heard, and if we could just stop and read the book or, or go to the church or let someone pray for us, then we would see the error of our ways. Uh, I would say, and not without substantiation from another recent Pew Research poll, that atheists in general know more about religion than the religious. I don't know if you guys read that poll. They did a story on it for front page of Fresno B. It was pretty interesting. We scored quite high in knowing about not only, well, for I would say our faith, but for them, but their own faith and other faiths. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting poll that, that showed that uh, most atheists do study this stuff and do apply themselves and try to explore a lot of different religions, similar to what you guys do in this class here. Atheists that have lost their faith were never true believers. This is one we hear when uh, someone such as Mark, um, who was a former Christian, um, says that they were a Christian, and for various reasons, um, they are now an atheist. Uh, Christians often say, well, you were never truly a believer. If you were truly a believer, you'll always be a believer. And that's a logical fallacy that we can talk about later, but where does that ever end, right? We get division among division among division of people saying that this sect and that sect are not true believers. I take people at their word. They say they were a Christian, they say they truly believe. There's your atheists have no morals. Yes, and uh, this, there's a lot of different things that go into this argument. Some of it is just, I know, because I've been told that morality comes from God and you don't believe in God, so atheists have no morals. That's kind of an argument you can dismiss. But there are some, some other arguments that have a little more thought behind them about, uh, are, is there such a thing as absolute morals, absolute morality? And if there is a thing as absolute morality, then it has to come from somewhere. And there's a whole series of arguments about that. So um, we get this one a lot in a lot of different forms. Atheists want to take away people's faith. So why am I here tonight? I, I secretly want to take away all your faith. That's what I hear quite often. Why would you just go stand in the corner, atheist? If you want to be an atheist, that's fine. But you don't need to talk about it. We hear that a lot. Not so much lately because more and more people are talking about it. It's starting to pick up steam where people feel comfortable. But for a long time, uh, if you were an atheist, you were, you know, just don't, just don't talk about it. It's contagious, I guess. I don't know. Atheism leads to other societal woes, which is somewhat tied to atheists have no morals. You know, well, X person or X leader of a country was an atheist, and they did a lot of bad stuff. And therefore, atheism leads to a lot of bad stuff. And there's plenty of things we could talk about here. If you guys want to talk about it, there's studies of populations in the U.S. and the prison systems, for instance, of people that are atheists compared to the religious. And it's a much lower percentage than in the regular population. So I'm not saying that atheists are any more moral necessarily. I'm just saying that your lack of a belief in God does not dictate your moral standards. 
So that's what I have on misconceptions. Any questions? Can we pause there for any questions before we move on? So like, yes. do you ever have to record? You just swear on the whole world. Well, you don't. You can actually take an affirmation instead. As a matter of fact, there was a congressman in, is it Connecticut? Tony Stark? No, this was just, uh, this was very recently. Oh, I haven't heard. And uh, he didn't want to swear on the Bible. He took the affirmation and pretty much everyone in his district freaked out about it. And uh, I don't know if they ended up forcing him. I don't think he stepped down yet, but he's got a lot of pressure on him now. But it's happened many times. There's also, Cal there's also California senator, right? That That's Tony Stark. That's Tony Stark. Okay. okay. That yeah. is Tony Stark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, there are some states that still have laws on the books that you can't serve uh, in the Congress, you can't be on a jury. Most of those laws that they were ever challenged would be overturned but, uh, by federal law, but that was uh, practice for a long time. And long ago, we go back to the history of the US, only certain sects of Christianity could do a lot of things in certain states. You had to be a Protestant. If you were a Catholic, sorry. You didn't have a lot of, uh, of rights. So this whole thing's kind of cyclical. So are you saying there's not a separation of church and state? Uh, yes. <laughs> Not as much as there should be, in my opinion. Yes. I mean, I would say that admission of atheism is a near-perfect impediment to office in this country. And if you do the math, you know, there should be a significant number of elected officials that are atheists. I don't know of many, so... But uh, well, we have a link up at the end to the FFRF, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, and that's really what they specialize in. And uh, we also, as our group here locally in Fresno, challenged the um, Fresno City Council meeting. They were having um, religious invocations before every single city council meeting, and every single one of the invocations was Christian in nature, with the exception of one out of five years, I think we went back, uh, which was from a Muslim. And even in that invocation, the Muslim gave a huge amount of deference to Jesus. So we just um, asked, you know, what's the secular purpose for these invocations? You know, why are they allowed? And um, we didn't press the issue within legal matters. We just, you know, wanted to bring it up in the community. Um, and they now stopped filming that portion of the meetings. We used to go online and watch the meetings, and we would have to go down there, we work, and listen to see what the invocation was. And so I don't know if they've stopped them, but they don't film them anymore. So tricky, tricky. But why does it matter? What's that? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, I mean, if law matters, if um, the rulings that the Supreme Court, you know, that matters. Now, I give you a personal example. Well, I say personal, once removed, a good friend of mine, Richard, he's an atheist, and his children, I assume his sons, I don't know, but I think he said his son at the time was, and his son was receiving an award for community service and had to sit through a religious invocation that made him feel uncomfortable just to be in the city council meeting. We have another member of our group, Chuck, who works with a lot of groups locally for uh, social issues, and he has to go down there to do a lot of business, and he has to sit through the religious implications as well. So it does affect some people. It definitely doesn't have a secular purpose. I mean, when we think about government right now, we want them lean and working, and what's the purpose of pausing to do that? So there are arguments either way. It's not top of my list of things that are egregious and horrible, but it definitely, uh, we felt needed to be addressed. So Does that answer you, your question? So as you said, atheism is a sense of hate? No, I don't think so, but we'll get to that. Um, but that's a good question. 
The next few slides are a little verbose. It's the history of atheism, just some snippets, and I'm just going to run through it quickly for you. Um, we'll have a link up, a tiny URL that you guys can get all this information anytime you want. So, history of atheism. The earliest form of the word was recorded in 600 BC in ancient Greek. In its earliest incarnation, it was used as an epithet. It was something negative that you said against someone else. It was merely an attack. There was no one self-proclaiming that. It was just completely a negative thing. And then in 1566, it was recorded, uh, the first recorded use of atheist in French coming from the French athi, um, which had been derived from the Greek. But by uh, 1577, it was in common usage. And this is a, what I thought was an interesting point. I actually learned this, putting this together for you guys, is words like theist actually came from the word atheist. You would think the word atheist was they just threw the, the negative, the primitive prefix a, meaning not, on front of theist, and that's how you got it, but it actually came the other way around. It, the word atheist came first, and then later the words theist and deist were defined based on it. So. Then the late 1700s um, was when it was first used as a self-description. This takes us up to the Enlightenment and Enlightenment philosophy. Um, Enlightenment philosophy stated that humans were not governed by faith in the supernatural, or should not be but on a reliance of reason and evidence. And this worldview was very important to the life of thinkers like Thomas Paine and shaped much of what they later wrote. We put up uh, 1885, Colonel Robert Ingersoll was elected president of the uh, American Secular Union. This was the first organized secular organization in America. Um, and Mark Twain was one of the very first members. So if you haven't heard any uh, oration by Ingersoll, he was widely known to be one of the best orders of his time. And uh, oftentimes, I don't know if you know much about atheism, but there's often a group of atheists known as the new atheists, right? And those are those atheists that, like I said earlier, are not just going to stand in the corner. They're out there talking about reason and evidence, critical thinking. And, uh, well, I think the people that use it think it's a negative thing to say, those new atheists, they're not like those old ones that kept their mouth shut. Uh, and they say this and this and this. And an interesting thing is you can pull up what Robert Ingersoll said in 1885. And there's nothing particularly new about the new atheists, I guess, is my point. There's not a lot of new arguments for or against the existence of God. All right. There's smart people talking. And some not so smart people, I would imagine. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Well, I was saying there's more people oh, talking about it. Yeah, uh, well, there's definitely more people talking about it now, I think. I mean, I wasn't around then, but I definitely see much more prevalent because I think there's overall more tolerance for all kinds of different types of things. More people are talking about all kinds of things now. It's not even, for me, even not as taboo now as it was 10 years ago to say that I'm an atheist. Um, 10 years ago, people probably didn't know what that meant a lot of times, and some still don't tonight. You know, I think we're making progress. Um, so in 1959, Darwin published his, wor his world-changing book on 1859. Man. Um, Darwin published his world changing book on the origin of species. And so why, why is Darwin up here? Why are we linking Darwin with atheism? I'll read you a quote from Richard Dawkins, and he's uh, talking a little bit about Hume. And so, an atheist before Darwin could have said, following Hume, I have no explanation for complex biological design. All I know is that God isn't a good explanation, so we must wait and hope that someone comes up with a better one, which I think is a fair position. Now, I can't help feeling that such a question, through, though logically sound, would have left someone feeling pretty unsatisfied. And that although atheism might have been logically tenable before Darwin, Darwin made it possible for to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. 
So the biggest question, the question of human origins, why are we all here? Maybe we can't answer that, but how did we get here on this planet? A lot of that was answered by Darwin. Again, people that thought about those things and that that was maybe a deal breaker for them or they just said, we're just going to wait, and it made them feel uncomfortable. Now they had something that explained a lot more of the things that were seen in the natural world. So, uh, mid-1800s um, to the First World War, atheists and psychologists were involved in many social, social issues. Abortion, slavery, contraception, women's suffrage. These were all issues that leading atheists were involved in. So, atheists really have no morals. I mean, the next one, this was pretty important, 1925. Uh, what's commonly known as the Scopes Monkey Trial was the beginning of the culture wars in America. Does uh, anyone know what the Scopes Monkey Trial was? It was a great movie, uh, somewhat a historical movie, uh, called Inherit the Wind, made about it. The Scopes Monkey Trial was basically a challenge to teach evolution in the classroom. It was a challenge against it, saying you couldn't teach evolution. I don't know how sweeping it was in its day, uh, but it's... It, it drew national attention. It was right. actually broadcast on the radio. Yeah. And, and it was against the law in Tennessee to teach evolution. Yes. Um, and uh, one teacher decided, well, we'll just see how this goes. It and two of the greatest lawyers in, in the country, Clarence Darrow and, I mean, the, 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 the transcripts of that trial are just stunning. It, it is, They're yeah. Stunning and uh, while the movie's good, I don't know if it does it justice, but yeah, it's uh, Inherit the Wind is the movie, if anyone, if anyone likes old movies. It is interesting, although, sadly, uh, although it's not in the slide here, it was played out again in Dover not that long ago, just... Instead of calling it, you know, uh, creationism, they put a different term and called it something else. But so we don't we don't study history in this country. But yeah, this was the beginning of culture wars in America, um, and that was uh, persecution of anyone outside of the mainstream Christian faith. The word atheist was used as an insult against many groups, including other groups of Christianity. So I'm a Christian, but I have a different understanding of Christianity than you do. So you're an atheist. It was quite common. All right, in uh, 1957, in the height of the Red Scare, the mere accusation of being an atheist was enough to get you arrested. Uh, this time we also saw, in God we trust, added to all American currency, and the words under God added to the Pledge of Allegiance. They weren't there before now. And before this time, before 57, some of, the, um, some of our currency did have in God we trust, but not all of it, not paper notes mostly, and from that time on, it all did. Before that, it said, Pluribus Unum. So then we fast-forwarded, because we could go into the history of atheism all night, and it's somewhat dry subject, and we said, okay, well, there was some things that went on, but what really brought atheism to the forefront? Well, in the early 1990s, the internet allowed for a resurgence in atheism. There was a, a lot of people that felt that they could talk anonymously and share ideas and not worry about what others would think. And uh, even today, I would say that uh, if there's such a thing as the atheist movement, it's, it's quite alive and well on the internet, and that's where you find a lot of what's going on. So my notes just say, again, modern atheists use a lot of social media, internet blogs, podcasts, videocasts. I was just watching a, a, an internet access show out of Austin, Texas before I came today. That's, they save the videos. Uh, it's a great call-in show that they have there where it's just two atheists sitting there, and people call in and ask them questions. It's pretty entertaining. Any questions before we move on? This was just a fun slide, famous atheists. Just gonna leave it up there for a second. 
see if there's anyone that was a surprise to you. Ronald Reagan, the president? His son. Oh, his son. Okay. Yeah. His son. And when asked that was why, a shock. And when asked why he, why he never went into public office, the answer he gave was that, well, as you know, I don't believe in God, and that's not going to let me get elected. So. I just saw a video the other day that spoke to a point earlier about atheists being immoral, and three of the biggest philanthropists in the U.S., Mark Zuckerberg, um, Bill Gates, and... Uh, Where'd he go? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Yeah, atheists and give away more money to the needy than any other Americans out there. It's a tax write-off, though. That may be true. <laughs> well, I don't know why. Why would that be relevant? Why would that matter? They could do other things with their money, right? I don't know. I'm just not sure. One of the interesting things about Bill Gates is that uh, he said that he wants to give away all of his money except for a very small portion for his kids. Yeah. He's in that club of those ultra billionaires that kind of vow to give away all their money before they die. Right. So, we're going to go into some tools that are used by rational atheists. Before I move on, well, what do you mean by rational atheists? Well, I can't say all atheists are rational, just like you probably whatever religion you would belong to wouldn't say that everyone else in that is uh, rational. And I give an example, and this is my opinion, but I give an example of Raelians. Does anyone know what a Raelian is? So they're atheists, um, and they also believe that the human race was transplanted here by aliens. Was this L. Ron Hubbard? No. No. This no. is Raelians. Raelians. Yeah. As in the store, Rayleigh? <laughs> no. Similar. I am at the end, at the end. yeah, Rayleans. So, some of the things we're going to talk about, some of the tools are um, understand what doubt, faith, and belief mean. We're going to talk a little bit about skeptical inquiry. How to know if something is baloney. Logical fallacies and arguments. And putting it all together, let's test some claims of God. All right, so doubt, faith, and belief. So what is, uh, what's the default position when it comes to belief? This is something that um, atheists bring up quite often. It has to do with shifting of the burden of proof uh, that happens a lot. But what is the default position of a claim? Should you believe something just because someone says it? Should you not believe it? Should you believe it because you've seen some evidence? You've seen, did you take something on faith? What is the default position? Skeptical inquiry based on doubt. That's kind of a starting point for atheists, for skeptics. So what's the default position? The default position is doubt. Some people think that sounds kind of negative, and we don't mean it that way. It's like, well, okay, I'm open to it, but my default position is, you know, where's the evidence? You know who's really good at this are kids. My daughter, she's four years old, and if I tell her something, she'll say, let me see. Where? She wants to see the evidence. She doesn't just take everything. Uh, there's arguments that, you know, we're supposed to be pre-programmed by evolution to trust what our parents say. I think that skipped my kid. So, belief is holding something to be true can be uh, based on different methods of reasoning. And faith is a position of holding something to be true without the requirement of evidence. Now, I'm not saying there's no evidence, but in order to believe something on faith, there's not necessarily a requirement for evidence. So, um, belief is a psychological state in which an individual holds a proposition or a premise to be true. Some people hold beliefs based on good evidence, and some people hold beliefs without sufficient evidence. 
many people get um, to believe through what they call faith. So I'm not going to pretend to define faith perfectly for you tonight. Everyone defines it in so many different ways. So, can we choose our beliefs? Can we choose what we believe? What do you guys think? Yeah. You think you can choose your beliefs? That was almost unanimous. Wow. So, <laughs> could you choose tomorrow to believe in Santa Claus? Okay, let's say I'm your parent and I found your diary and I found that you don't believe in Santa Claus. And I said, well, if you don't believe in Santa Claus, you're not going to get any presents. Now, let me just clarify. I'm not talking about feigning belief. We're not pretending to believe. We're talking about actual belief. So, you have a motive now. You got that new PS3. I was going to say bicycle, but that's a little dated. You got the new PS3 wrapped up under the tree. Can you choose to believe in Santa knowing that you're going to get a present because you do? Or is it a feigned belief? Okay. It was unanimous when I asked if we could choose our beliefs. So could someone give me an example of a different belief? Well, wait, 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 yeah, wait. Yeah, go ahead. Wait, 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 Please. wait. Okay, if, if you presented me with, with tons of, of... Are you going to define fact for me, please? Fact? Fact. Um, I don't think we necessarily put fact in here. We speak more of evidence, but... Um, well, because a fact, evidence is based on fact, right? Yes. Because a fact, a fact is evidence. indisputable. That's why it's, 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 it's oxymoronic yes. to say a true fact. Yes, you are entitled to your own beliefs, but not your own facts. Correct? Because the, the chair is there, it's a fact. Yes. Okay. Any Unless perception you're about a fact, yes. Yeah, I mean, if we define chair, I mean, the chair here is a fact. Yes. And that's not a disputable thing, and that's how you're supposed to build up your thoughts. So if you give me a bunch of facts that Santa Claus doesn't exist, then can I choose to believe in Santa Claus only if I take a lot of drugs or have a psychotic break? <laughs> okay. But, but if, if I... If, if, if there's something where there's not, if you haven't given me a lot of facts or reasoning or evidence, mm -hmm. could I believe in the great spaghetti monster or the or the Russell teapot? Mm -hmm. Of course. Okay. Without a lot of facts, or, but so, I couldn't. I couldn't choose to believe something that I have a ton of facts that disputes. To dispute it. Because that that would be, as you well, say, it would be. So that's interesting that you say that because that what you're saying basically is that the default position then is belief for you. No, the default position for me is skepticism. Okay. But with, in the absence of could, facts, you but could but choose I could to believe. You said, could I choose to uh -huh. believe? Yeah. Can you I could choose to believe something. Okay. Can you give me an example? Yeah, I, I choose to believe that science works. Okay. And, and I have I have evidence with both pro okay. and con, Good. but I'm there's more evidence going. for science working than for not science right. working. So, so I choose to have that belief rather than take a skeptical position. In other words, I have more faith that science will work than that it won't work. Well, I was with you up until the last thing. <laughs> faith was going to get you. Huh? Well, what 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 I was trying to get out with this was, um, and we kind of hit on it a little bit was. Um, you said you choose to believe that science works and you have more evidence for it than you do against it. So my point is that you believe something because you accept evidence or you don't accept evidence. It's accepting the evidence that's the important thing. That's the point I'm trying to get across. It's not the belief. It's not like a switch. It's not like, because, and this, this leads back to something, well, you could choose to believe in God if you wanted to. But I see people all the time who choose to believe in stuff contrary to evidence. Well, that's a totally separate okay. issue that right. was better addressed by George Orwell than it ever was by me. Right. But 
But uh, absolutely, if you haven't read 1984, one of the most important social books of all time. Um, David, I'd like to interrupt just a moment to yes. bring up something. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that uh, you just said about uh, faith and uh, belief, you also have to make sure that you don't make the mistake of, of confusing faith with trust. I don't have faith that the elevator out here is going to take me safely to the floor. I trust it. Um, and why do you trust it, Mark? I trust it because I see other people using it. I see other people going in and out of it. And As a little kid, elevators. I trusted it because my mom carried, you know, either carried me in or took me in by my oh, hand. So you also have experience of elevators working properly. Right. So and if I'm, really, if I'm really a skeptic, I can look inside the door and inspect its sticker, too, you know. But I don't go quite that far. Okay. Okay, so, so you're teasing out the difference between faith and trust. I'm sorry. I was going to say, so if you have a bad experience with the elevator, do you now lose trust in the elevator? Sure, exactly. Um, so a song once bitten quite shy. Yeah, exactly. So you're you're more cautious next time. So then what happens when a child sees their parent wrapping that new PS3 in the bedroom? Yeah, they find it underneath the yeah, tree. So the next ah. and then the parent says, "But if you don't believe in Santa, you're not going to get any presents." Well, mom, I saw you wrapping the PS3, and then I got it underneath the tree. How did Santa give me that? Exactly. Where do I regain faith or belief? And that's a great question, man. I'll tell you, as a, a parent that is an atheist, yeah. oh, I have two kids, and I am not. Uh, so anything for my kids. I'm just gonna say, hey, you figure it out on your on your own. But that's an interesting question. So I mean, logically, we would hope that the parent would learn the lesson from the kid, right? All right. So we got a little derailed on that one. But my my overall point was that belief is not okay. like a switch. Trust and faith. I got to tease those two out. Uh, it, what what belief is is an exception, accepting of evidence. Um, and some people accept evidence for really good reasons, and some accept it because it's easy. Are there levels of belief? Because I'm, what I'm kind of toying around in my head right now is, is um, like, I can say I have absolute belief in gravity on the surface of the planet Earth. Okay. But I also know that if I get near a black hole, that gravity is not going to work in the way that it's going to bend light, that it's going to do stuff like that. Okay. So there's very few things that you can have absolute belief in. Well, absolutism in general, I think there's very Okay, few I just want to be sure. You can that. make absolute statements about when you say, I know for a fact. I never say that. You know, I know 100% for a fact because what, what do we really know? Usually you're misusing the term fact at that point. But Okay, you're yeah. right. But, but yeah, if you say, I believe, that's why I said saying choose our beliefs is like, because almost all beliefs have some at least up until this point. Yeah, and what I would say. Up until say, I hit the speed of light, I believe in. What I would say kind of. To your question is I know I know no atheists that say they believe 100% that there is no God. I know many religious people that do believe 100% that there is one. So it's definitely an interesting thing to talk about and to explore a little bit more. Um, any anything else? This seems like a, a good slide for discussion. So so then so is there faith in being an atheist? Is there faith involved in being an atheist? Uh, atheists would all the atheists I know would say no. Yeah. Um, so again, it goes back to let me let me kind of follow the progression. What's the default position for most rational atheists? Yeah. The default position is skepticism. Okay, we don't believe something without evidence, and it's based upon doubt. We doubt it, right? So belief, holding something to be true, different methods of reasoning. So do we have facts? Do we have evidence to believe it? I would say Good. a disbelief in something doesn't require 
anything. It doesn't require faith or belief. It's just the lack of a belief. Now, if I was making a specific claim, like, I don't believe in the Hindu god Ganesh. I'm making a claim now. Okay, but am I making that claim on what? I'm not making it on faith because I'm still making it on the default position and the skeptical inquiry based on doubt and waiting for evidence. I'm open to the evidence. There could be evidence, but I don't see it as a faith position. Um, I don't. Does that answer your question, or do you see it differently? Because I no, don't. I was just going to lead to my next question: is then what would be the position like on certain social issues? Well, we don't do a whole lot on social issues because, uh, and I'll talk about it a little bit. But atheism, in and of itself, doesn't say what we do believe in. However, it does seem to be the case that when you remove a lot of the religious restrictions around social issues, and when you're looking at things from a position of evidence, that a lot of social issues, uh, atheists align themselves with equality, peace, those types of things that make the most sense for everybody when there aren't competing priorities out there to try to tell you that you should believe something a certain way. Most atheists that I know are for gay rights, because why should they be persecuted against? They should have all the rights the same as everybody else. As a matter of fact, most atheists have adopted the terminology coming out, because we feel in many ways we have to come out to our families as well. And, you know. Because it's not special. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not universal. Um, let me just make one more point. In our group, just to give you one example, in our group we have two or three people, two people at least, very involved in the Republican Party. Yes, I'm really involved with the Democratic Party, and that has nothing to do with their atheism. And now, granted, they're both pretty socially liberal Republicans, but it can it can come anyway. It's not tied to anything. But generally speaking, atheists are much more liberal. Also. Well, and we have the Republicans in Wyoming that have just um, said Republicans don't get into social issues. Yeah. And they voted down an abortion bill. They voted down because they're small government. Yeah. Um, well, the Republican, Republican. Party used to get into social issues. But let's. This isn't about right. that tonight. Well, I know. I know. But I'm just saying. But, but you could be a Republican. You could be very conservative and define yourself as I'm a small government. Absolutely. Uh, conservative. What was your question? Uh, I was just trying to figure out the the, uh, the distinction between what you consider to be trust and faith. Like, if you went to a restaurant, I like that distinction. Yeah. I've got to say more about. It. If if you went to a restaurant out of town that you never been to and they required you to pay for your food before you got it. Okay. Would, if you, would you consider that trust or faith that you gave them the money? You haven't been here. You haven't proven it. Okay. You don't know for sure, mm -hmm. but you still mm -hmm. have. Have you been to mm -hmm. a fast food restaurant before? Yeah, but you okay. haven't been to. I know. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm leading so up to something here. Come so on. Is, so are you leaning towards the fact <laughs> of experience with others? Absolutely. It doesn't have to be that exact thing. I've, I have experience with people that sell goods. Quite often, I have to pay for those goods before I receive them. I also realize it's in their best interest to serve me good food and to serve me because they want to keep their business running. So there is a lot of logic involved in that, and that all goes into the trust. Now, this is kind of a another another. It's a philosophical discussion. Yeah. I mean, do, do we really sit there and think about these things when they ask us to pay for our food first? No. But it also doesn't mean it will always be true. Absolutely, it's still a good logical argument, but yeah. it could still be a false. Yeah, and so um, <laughs> right there, there's a, there's an element of calculated risk that all of us take in, in whatever we do. And if you get served a, a bag of really bad McDonald's food, you just never go back there. Go that restaurant even. Just yeah. that restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean I don't we I don't consider it faith because to me faith is again, it's 
without the requirement of any evidence. And so evidence in this sense does not mean you know, physical evidence that I can see. I, it can be experiential evidence from others. I just saw people walking out with a bag of food and they had a smile on their face. You know? The place has got a business license up on the wall. You know, they've been inspected by a health department. That's all evidence. Well, I mean, he made, a, I guess, a valid point where he said that, you know, if something was wrong with it, you don't go back there. Yeah. So is it an atheist belief if something doesn't go right that I no longer no. deal with that? I think no, that's, that's just a consumer. A, I think that's just a consumer practice. But, let, you know, I should have said this in the beginning. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm an atheist. Mark's an atheist. Um but we never would claim to speak for all atheists, just like most Christians or Muslims would never claim to speak for all Muslims or Christians. Um, and I would say the problem may even be broader or bigger in the atheists' community because there is no doctor we can go back and say, no, Mark, you're supposed to go to the McDonald's three times before you give up on it. We don't have a book. We don't have any teachings. So you'll find quite disparate things amongst atheists. So again, I mean, I guess... I could have just had the first slide that said atheism, it's a lack of belief in gods, and it would have been kind of boring tonight. <laughs> so the rest of this is other things that you see in general that go along with atheism, but none of it is necessarily tied to it. So that being said, is a conflict within being atheist from this atheist? Yeah, oh, we... we um, can, yes, we have a couple sayings about that. and uh, David's saying it's we eat our own. We eat our own, yeah. Um, they say it's like herding cats. Oh, they yeah. say, you're welcome in, but if you're bringing in a sacred cow, prepare for it to be barbecued, which that means if you have a belief that you're not ready to back up with evidence, we're really good about, well, why do you believe that? Well, what's your evidence for it? And, you know, so, yeah, there's, a, there's of course, conflicts, just like there is in it within any group, but I think the nature of the way in which atheists approach the world, they're always questioning, they're always asking questions, they're always looking for evidence, probably breeds a little bit more of that, just in general. So, so okay, in a sense, if you mm -hmm. said, as far as knowledge and belief, it's a, a lack of knowledge. So uh, if I try, lack of belief. Are you talking about atheism or yeah. agnosticism? It's I'm be, sorry. Because you, when you did your first one, it says uh -huh. it, atheism deals with belief and not knowledge. Yes. So, okay, in a sense, if there was something that I tried to do without knowledge and I'm unsuccessful time and time again, does that now become like, uh, it's my belief now. I don't have no knowledge. I might be capable of it, but because I have no knowledge of it, I just... Well, in that specific example, we're only talking about in reference to the question of whether or not a God or God exists. Okay. That's all that that was in reference yeah. to. So the belief is that no God exists. Uh, it's a lack of a belief that, yeah, well, yes. So you don't That's know that God doesn't exist, but you believe yeah, that God and there exist. are uh, probably some, I mean, there are strong atheists. I know a few. Um, and there are many atheists, I'm probably one of them, that as someone adds attributes to God and defines God more and more, my level of, of atheism goes up, if you will. If it's some non-interventionist God that's just floating around out there that can't be measured, how can I say too much about it? How can I be too sure about it? So you could define God in such a way that you'd have to accept it. Yeah, and when you start defining it and giving it properties, specifically we start giving God properties that can be measured, well, that's when... A lot of the things we've talked about today come into play. Yes? Just because I like to understand things better, I'm going to ask this debatable question. Perfect. So, the words on the screen have definitions, right? Yeah. And where would you find the factual definition of each of those words? The factual definition? I don't know. I think that's an, an oxymoron. Uh, description. Uh, How about the dictionaries most, the most are prescriptive. and accurate definition of them? 
probably in a dictionary, but dictionaries are prescriptive. They reflect usage, common usage. I mean, the word personable, what's the word personable mean? It actually means that you're attractive looking, but everyone starts using it because it sounds like personality, and so all of a sudden it takes on that meaning. And so now it is, does have two meanings. Attractive is the first meaning, and amicable is the second meaning, if you will. So, Dictionaries are prescriptive, so I don't really know where you're going, but yeah, dictionaries probably the best place to get a broad sense of the meaning of a word, knowing that within, like Christian circles, for instance, words within that faith mean something to Christians that they don't necessarily mean in the dictionary. But um, but go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, in order to find the most true definition of okay. a word, you would read the dictionary and you believe that that definition is correct in the usage of the word you're using correctly. Belief means what's accepted in the dictionary? Is that what you're saying? No. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. You read the dictionary, you understand the words, you learn the words. Yes. And you use them each day, each week, and each day. You're right. Yeah. That is evidence. The words in the dictionary are evidence. Not only the words in the dictionary, but the common usage around them. Right. And again and again and again, every time someone says the word car, they're so in proximity are, to this metal how box. How is the difference of the Bible being the word of God, not believe that God would exist? So you're saying that the Bible proves itself because it says it's the Word of God? Right. Because that's a circular argument, which... Well, the dictionary says that the Word is, means, is. Okay, and that's just a word we use to express ourselves. But if you're defining God as an entity that has properties and, and saying that those things are actually happening, then those are things we can test. And do I believe the words in the Bible are true because the word... I could turn this over and write the flying spaghetti monster as God, and your argument would have to say that... I have to believe that as well, correct? Sure. Okay. Wait. So that alone should be... We're should still basing our belief in the usage of a word mm -hmm. on a book that is written. And well, written by, I mean, it's again, written by so, people so let's back before up. our time. So let's back up. <clears throat> do, I, do I base it solely on what's written in the dictionary? No. I probably give more credence to a few other things besides the dictionary. Common usage, the, uh, where the word came from, the etymology of the word, those are probably much more important to me than the dictionary. And yeah, words written in the dictionary reflect reality. So, so every time someone says car, it's a metal box with four wheels, the dictionary reflects that reality. So that's why I accept, you know, for the most part, a definition of a word to be that word. Seeing is believing. Well, not seeing is believing, because there's a lot of things I can't see that I believe in. I believe in particle physics. I guess you could say I believe in it. I accept particle physics because of the evidence. But if you want to use the word belief, I can't see it. I can't well, see atoms. Yes? Uh, kind of to piggyback on uh, what Will was saying, I think a common misconception is that the Bible is just all God's word. In, in scripture it says, God breathed, but that means God inspired. Meaning, like, I do spoken word poetry. If something happened, it may inspire me to write. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, the Bible is God-inspired. It's inspired by people's revelations. It's inspired by people's experience. It's inspired by the Apostle Paul. He's in jail, and he sees or hears about a specific situation. So he's inspired to respond. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily God saying everything in the Bible. Mm -hmm. There's the words of Jesus. There's the words of God. And then there's the words of man about God. Mm -hmm. So there's Absolutely. a common misconception when everybody says it's all infallible, all God's word. You know, I, I just have to point out that in some times and places, what you just said 
is completely heretical and you yeah, first come before. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So um, I mean, we're kind of getting off, and that's fine. I'm open to whatever you guys want to talk about. Whatever you're comfortable talking about, that's fine. Um, but let me just get through a couple more slides, if that's okay, and then we can we can see we can go back. I want to go back to a little bit to, to what Will was saying. Yes. Yeah, because there's words in the dictionary like um, unicorn. Yes. That that we know is a phantasmagorical creature. So yes. all words do not have a tangible connection. connection. Just because it's in the dictionary doesn't make it true that there is such a thing That's true. as a unicorn, but a unicorn is there. The same thing with like Alice in Wonderland. And Gotham the, City. Yeah. yeah, those kinds of things. So it doesn't, just because the word's there doesn't mean that it's there, but the, the study of language and linguistics is fascinating. I think you'd love it because of just where you've gone with that. Mm -hmm. Bill Bryson. He's a good writer. He has some good books on that. See if we can get back a little bit on track here. A little bit about skeptical <laughs> inquiry and what is entailed in skeptical inquiry. Okay? So the scientific method. To be termed scientific, a method of a method of inquiry must be based on gathering observable, empirical, measurable evidence subject to specific principles of reasoning. I think most people have a cursory understanding of the scientific method, you probably all learned about it in the science class, things like that, have, have hypothesis tested, things like that. It can, it's, I'm not going to go into it too deep tonight, but it is definitely a bedrock of skeptical inquiry. The burden of proof. Prove what you claim. Uh, burden of proof. Um, if you claim something, then you have that burden. It, the burden of proof always lies on the person that's making the claim. If I say I have a dinosaur in my backyard and he's alive, I have the burden of proof because I made the claim. Oftentimes, you know, we hear, well, prove that there's no God. Well, you're the one making the claim that there is one. I just don't have a belief. You know, I don't have a belief in one. But you're saying there is, so the burden of proof actually lies on the person making the claim. Standards of evidence. So evidence must be sufficient. There are different levels of evidence, right? We talked about that a little bit tonight. There's experience, there's hard facts, there's data, there's hearsay, there's all kinds of evidence. So one thing that um, you'll hear a lot of atheists say, it's a quote from Carl Sagan, is uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Why should supernatural claims be exempt from the same sort of evidentiary standard that we require for natural claims? So if I tell you that your car was stolen from the parking lot, I just run in here and I say your car was just stolen from the parking lot, what kind of evidence would you need to confirm that? <laughs> I'd run down the street, yeah, and look and see, and that's going to be my first line of evidence. And then I'm going to make sure, walk around, click in my little beeper, making sure that I didn't park somewhere that I forgot, right? And then ask to see the security camera, you know, whatever I can do. It's um, common that you'll hear atheists ask that question of, well, why is your standard of evidence different for supernatural than natural science? Yes. At some point, evidence must be tangible. Yeah, I mean, there's pure logic, and do you consider that evidence? Well, no, well, not because if you if you consider that that Aristotle was was used for centuries to 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 do logical argumentation around how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Yes, the logic is absolutely elegant, irrefutable logic. But since there's no evidentiary, tangible evidentiary requirement. You can get away with it because you can build a logical world like Alice in Wonderland that has no intersection with the tangible physical world. We, we see this a lot in science. Uh, a, a theoretical physicist will come up with a, a beautiful, elegant theory 
about how the universe works, and then someone will test the theory, and it'll be wrong. Yeah. It doesn't matter how beautiful, how elegant your logic is, if it conflicts with reality, it's wrong. Well, I think it's a good point, and that I just want to add a little bit to what Mark is saying there, because when you think about the scientific method and standards of evidence, um, many people that are not fans of science, for one reason or another, often say, well, science doesn't know what they're talking about because this long ago they thought this, and now they say this. So look, they're always changing their mind, right? And it's, I mean, it, somehow that's a bad thing. You know, if a politician evolves on an issue, that's a bad thing. Well, scientists change their mind when there's new evidence. I think that's a good thing about science. I, I would rather they did that than put the fingers in the ears and say, la, 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 I already wrote two books, and I'm doing a lecture series on the other theory, so I'm going to pretend that evidence isn't there. Anytime new evidence is presented, you do need to reevaluate your beliefs. So a lack of knowledge does not equal proof of supernatural. Saying, I don't know, is a scientific position. So this is another thing that we run into a lot, is, um, well, I'll explain this. Okay, we'll explain that. Well, what came before the Big Bang? Well, I don't know. Ah, well, if you don't know, then you can't. You have no right to talk about it. It's kind of like, you don't want me asking you question. Okay. I'm open completely with you guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> because it's, you know, supernatural has to do with um, that. Or, you know, I know that you're married, and I see that you have a ring on your thing. Yeah. Is there a scientific method behind you having or needing the ring? Or is it just... It's just tradition. Okay. It's just tradition. It's the thing when you get down on the one knee, and she actually did it to me, so, but yeah. Oh, it's just tradition. It's like how does one... Well, you know, and the question you're asking is valid. A lot of people say, well, if you're an atheist, why do you believe in marriage? Why do you believe in this? Why do you believe in marriage? I mean, I've been married before. I mean, I've been married But I've been at ceremonies, and it's... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, Mark and I are both, uh, actually, we can both perform marriages. We're ordained. both ordained. So just that way, if I have friends that want to get married, oh, I can do it. They don't have to have a religious ceremony. It takes about five minutes on the internet. It's pretty fun. You check the box, put in your information, you're ordained. California doesn't have any other, but we're getting off something. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> sorry. See how easy it is to be real? You guys have figured me out. It's um, okay. So um, there's another great quote from Cyril. Carl Sagan about this, the, the fact that I don't know is a scientific position. And um, he was in an interview, and uh, does everyone know who Carl Sagan is? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know his um, educational background. I know. He was an astrophysicist. Yeah, okay. PhD, MIT, I think. Yes. And, uh, but what he did really well was speak science to the general public on TV, on PBS, on documentaries. Uh, he had a way of just explaining things. And he had a way of bringing passion and uh, emotion into science that is lacking in many scientists. So he was very you know, well received with his message in, in many ways. Um, he was in an interview, and whenever he was interviewed, he was often asked about the existence of extraterrestrial life, so intelligent life on another planet. He was asked, um, you know, what do you think the chances are that there's extraterrestrial life on another planet? He said, I can't answer that question. Well, come on, Mr. Sagan. I mean, you're one of the most brilliant minds we have. I mean, what's your gut feeling? What's your gut feeling about it? He said, I try not to think with my gut. It really, it's okay to say we don't know. We're waiting for more evidence. And so I think that's a perfect example of, of that principle there. It really is okay to say, well, we don't know. We're waiting for more evidence. And, and that shouldn't be looked at as a weakness. Questions about that last point? Ah, more Carl Sagan. He was our favorite. Yes. Talk a little bit about his baloney detection toolkit. 
This comes from the book uh, Demon Haunted World. So, independent confirmation of facts. Encourage a substantive debate on evidence by knowledge, uh, knowledgeable proponents of all points of view. Knowledgeable proponents of all points of view, not just someone off the street. It, I mean, this, this gets into a conversation of do all opinions count equal? Argument from authority carry very little weight. Okay? In science, there's no authority. Arguments from authorities are very popular. Very popular. I know this guy, and he's a doctor. And he said that X isn't true. Even if it has nothing to do with medical knowledge. He's a doctor, and he said that this, and even if it does, he's a doctor, and he said that, well, there are, I'll give you an example. He's a doctor, and he says that HIV does not cause AIDS. Okay? 99.99% of practicing physicians would disagree with him, and molecular biologists would disagree with him, but he's a doctor, and he says, no, no, he says that that's all a hoax. That's, that's an argument from authority, and they shouldn't carry any weight. Spend more than one hypothesis. So don't run with the first idea that caught your fancy. Try to get input. Try to get as many ideas on the table. Try not to get overly attached to a hypothesis just because it's yours. Quantify whenever possible. Get data. If there's a chain of argument, every link in the chain must work. Can't say, well, I got this bit worked out, and I got this bit worked out, but I have no way to get from here to here. It's not necessarily valid. Occam's razor. This is a principle that if two hypotheses explain the data equally well, you always choose the simpler explanation. Ask whether the hypothesis can, at least in principle, be falsified. Okay, so in other words, is it testable? This is a big one. Is it testable? Is it repeatable? Can others duplicate the experiment and get the same result? We've had lots of unscrupulous scientists say a lot of things. Well, look what we did over here. Okay. Show us how you did it and let us try. Oh, funny, we can't do it. I'll go back to that one. Let's talk on it. Yes. I'd like to point out that last point. Is it repeatable? Back in 1972, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence uh, organization got a very loud signal that was not of Earth origin. And it happened for about 17 seconds, and it never happened again. No, what they said is, we don't know. They circled it, they, they wrote it up, and they said, we have no idea what this was. It wasn't repeatable, it's no real data, it's nothing. We don't know. It could have been, you know, some guy out there in another galaxy warming up his microphone, but we don't know. Yeah. And that's the way science works. It sounds really cool, but boiled it down through all of this, you came out with, we don't know, and left it at that. So for some claims, and using this kit, you can see that. Um, I mean, using this kit, we would put this towards claims that are important, but not towards all claims. I mean, I'm not trying to say you've got to go through this whenever someone tells you anything. If I told you my car was blue, you'd be like, all right, because there's nothing hinging on that, right? It doesn't matter if my car's blue. And you've seen blue cars before. You have experience with blue cars. I said that my car was blue, and it flew. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's it. Our Logical fallacies. All right. A logical fallacy, basically, it boils down to an error in reasoning. Being able to recognize a logical fallacy will help you judge the quality of an argument. Now, I will say going into this, just because an argument contains a logical fallacy doesn't mean that what the argument is saying is necessarily false. 
It means that the argument's no good, but it could point to something that's true in reality. So I do want to put that out there, but we're going to look at just a couple um, common logical fallacies. So ad hominem, okay? The theory of evolution is false because Darwin married his cousin. Does that sound like a valid reason why the theory of evolution would be false? We hear it. We hear it a lot. So you're attacking someone's character instead of their argument. That's an ad hominem attack. It's attacking the person instead of the idea. Well, it's happening a lot with the guy with WikiLeaks right now. Yes. He, re he released all the stuff. All of a sudden, they're saying, well, he had, he had sex with people and kids out of wedlock, so therefore yeah. he's not a, a credible source. It's like, why do these two things even connect? And now you can easily dismiss that and say, well, that's a lot it may be true that his information is bad or it's good, but the fact that that doesn't have anything to do with it. An argument ad, ad ignoranum, or um, an, ad, an argument from ignorance. Really what that says, the name is a little confusing. So it's saying that, uh, let's call it proposition P, okay? P is too incredible. I can't imagine how P could possibly be true, therefore P is false. Okay? I hear this a lot with evolution. You're telling me that over millions of years we evolved from a single cell organism to be, well, I can't imagine how that could be true, therefore it's false. Post hoc ergo proctor hoc. This is um, afterwards, therefore because of. What that means is, um, think of an obscure example. I um, did a rain dance in my backyard and it rained. That's proof that rain dances work. Now, I don't know how many of you agree that rain dances work. We have modern meteorology and all of that, but so I'm just saying that that's proof right there because one thing followed another, it's a proof of it. And that's not necessarily the case with anything. We're all guilty. I'll give you the best example of how everyone in this room is probably guilty of this. Think of the last time you ate bad food and got sick. Most people can remember that. Oh, it was that shrimp I had at the out back, or it was this, or it was that. I used to teach food safety for a living. I was a food um, certified food trainer. And, uh, you know, most foodborne illness has at least a 72-hour incubation period, some of it up to 14 days. So you ate that food a long time Yeah, ago. unless it was a toxin-mediated infection, which is very rare, uh, it's probably not that. But everyone says, no, that's the last thing I ate, and that's what made me sick. I think cold is a good example. Cold? Oh, I went out in the cold and now I'm sick? Yeah, I got a cold. Yeah. It's winter, so I cut a cold. Yeah. So questions about these before I move? There's one more column. All right, a false dichotomy. So... If you're not with us, you're against us. Yeah. Well, no, I'm Sweden. I'm just neutral. <laughs> yeah. So a false dichotomy is where I'm giving you two options and telling you it has to be one or the other. Well, wait a minute. I can think of another option, right? So, false dichotomy, assuming that there's only one answer or another, and it's got to be one or the other, and if it's not this one, it's automatically that. A non sequitur. A non sequitur is when your argument is not connected in any way. Okay, so you make, and this happens often where the first few premises will be connected, and then you jump to a conclusion that has nothing to do with the premises you just stated. Mark, you have a, a blanking on a dog. Okay, so like uh, all dogs have four legs, all dogs have hair, therefore fish don't have hair. That, yeah, that's a non sequitur. Yeah. <laughs> four legs. <laughs> I, well, that's a completely different argument. <laughs> I actually had a, a, a funny either. story about this one. I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone, and he said, um, 
<coughs> oh, I'm handing out holiday cards to all my stores. And I said, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, they're, they're non-sequitur cards, don't worry. He meant to say non-secular cards. And I said, non-sequitur cards, what does that like say? Happy holidays, and you open it up, and there's a picture of a carrot? I mean, what is a non-sequitur card? It doesn't logically follow. So now I tease him every time I see him about non-sequitur, because it's hard. The slippery slope argument. So this logical fallacy is that if, uh, well, if we allow gays to marry, what's to stop people from marrying animals? You laugh. I hear that all the time. You go on the Fresno Bee comment section, and you'll hear that all the time, especially on Prop 8. It's a slippery slope argument because there's no logical connection from letting two people that love each other that can give informed consent marry each other. There's no logical connection to go from there to someone marrying an animal. It's a fear tactic, and I just give that example because that's a very relevant example. I see it all the time. A straw man argument. So you guys can all picture a straw man, or a scarecrow kind of thing. It's a, a very poor representation of a human. It happens to work, but it's a poor representation of a human. A straw man argument is a poor representation of the argument. So I would say, well, you believe that people crawled out of the sea, sprouted legs, and you know that's where we came from. Or that a, a frog turned into a monkey, and then that gave birth to a human. And that's just I haven't seen any ape turn into a man lately. Uh, an ape turning to what? A man lately. Well, we are apes, but okay. Um, so uh, that's that's a, that is a uh, straw man argument. Okay, you're creating you a create. cool representation of the argument, so you can knock it down. And then begging the question. So begging the question, you're uh, assuming the premise in your statement. Um, so you're you're saying, um, gosh. I had an example for this and I didn't print. Where are you going to hide when the aliens come? Yeah, assuming that the aliens are coming. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a valid question because you're assuming your premise. Thank you, Mark. So now we'll get down to applying a few of, the, few of these logical principles <coughs> to the arguments for God. And so these are just meant to be a bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, the arguments are real arguments. So, the cosmological argument, the first cause. So, if I say something must have a cause, it has a cause. I say the universe must have a cause, therefore the universe has a cause, therefore God exists. The cosmological argument is w one of the top three arguments that, that I commonly get. Does anyone see any logical fallacies with it as stated or any problems with it? The first premise. Yeah. What's the problem? You're assuming that, that, that everything is causal. So you're begging the question. You're assuming yeah. your premise right in your first question. Yeah. And you may be confusing correlation with cause. There's Absolutely. also a non-sequitur between three and four. Absolutely. Anything else? Well, four is a non-sequitur as well. I mean, it's a, it's a leap. Oh, well, I say it, therefore, yeah. So again, these aren't the full argument. We're just doing it for illustrative purposes. So. Argument from design. Check out this world, universe, or giraffe. Isn't it complex? Only God could have made something so complex, therefore God exists. Does this one look familiar like one of the logical houses you talked about? It would be an, an argument from ignorance. I, I can't conceive of it. I don't understand how a giraffe could come to form, so therefore it couldn't have happened. Argument from beauty. Isn't that baby, sunset, flower, tree? I get tree the most. Uh, isn't that beautiful? 
Only God could have made something so beautiful, therefore God exists. Do we see any non sequiturs in there? Do we see anything that doesn't logically follow? I guess you're assuming that people think those things are beautiful. Alright, an argument from numbers. Billions of people believe in God. They can't all be wrong, can they? Therefore God exists. No answers over here. Okay, which logic fallacy is this? Yeah, you could, it's, a, it's an argument from authority or from numbers, but from numbers uh, ad populatum, population. Most of the population believes it. Well, you saw the same kind of thing with Proposition 8, where people said because they voted against Proposition 8, whatever it was, against or for it, whatever it was, and then they said, my rights don't count, because they didn't understand majority rule versus individual rights. Yeah. Um, so that was, a, that was a very fallacious argument, that you can vote to take away somebody's individual rights, which runs a counter to everything this country stands for. I agree. So the argument for miracles, very popular one. The moral argument, uh, morals have to come from somewhere. Argument from near-death experience. I know this guy whose cousin's sister said that when he was on the operating table, something really cool happened, and then he got back in his body and he remembered a conversation. Or he saw a bright light. One, one thing, uh, I'll add one thing to this. It always seemed interesting to me that of all the people that have those near-death experiences where they see the light in the tunnel and they experience supernatural things, they never experience supernatural things that don't fit with their presuppositions. If they're Christians, they see Jesus. If they're Muslims, they see Mohammed. It's interesting. Um, the teleological argument, the argument from design, again, Darwin hopefully buried that one. The ontological argument, perfection implies existence. So I can think of a house. It's the most perfect house. Okay, there's no way one for it the... to not exist if it's perfect, because perfection, for something to be the most perfect, it would have to exist, because existence is part of perfection. Um, argument from biblical prophecy, well, Luke wrote that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on the colt and the donkey, and he did, and that proves it because it was in the Old Testament of Isaiah. Argument from incredulity. That's just I can't believe that it could be any other way. The second law of thermodynamics is a science <coughs> argument. Uh, it's a misrepresentation of the law of thermodynamics that states that in a closed system, things tend towards disorder. And, well... I don't know, things look pretty ordered, so had to be a designer that put all that stuff there. Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager I hear a lot as well. Pascal's wager is, well, if you don't believe, and you're wrong, bad stuff's gonna happen. But if you do believe, and you're wrong, eh, what's the big deal? Still live a good life. I mean, if you believe and it's true, wow, look at you just hit the lottery. So believe. Does anyone see a problem with that wager? It doesn't make sense to me because it goes back to the question, can we choose our beliefs? It's assuming that I can choose to believe because I want eternity in heaven or whatever you want to call it. And it's not about feigning belief. It says believe. I would think most gods would know if I was pretending. Oops. Um, so that's Pascal's wager. It also is gambling on the right, the right god. You know, 4,000 distinct sects, uh, religious sects in the world. That's pretty low number, some say it's much higher. If you just study, you know, statistics, most of us should be pretty sure we got it wrong. Um, and an argument from the Bible is science. Well, the Bible says that the earth is 
floating in the heavens, and you know, there's many passages. I don't have all those memorized, but I hear a lot of them. And science didn't figure this out until much later, so therefore, God exists. Any questions about any of these? What's incredulity? Incredulity. Incredulity, something so incredible that I can't believe it. It's so. This is just some further resources for you guys. The first one is the Freedom from Religion Foundation. They mostly specialize in church-state separation issues. They're the ones that put up those billboards and say, imagine no religion, or picture of the Twin Towers, very controversial. They did an ad during Christmas that said, had Santa holding a sack of toys, and it said, be good for goodness sake. Apparently, that was extremely uh, over the top and uh, offended a lot of people. The next one is our website the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. Some good information there. TopOrigins.com, if you're interested in dot science, org. if you're interested in evolution. Hmm? Dot .org, you did it again. It's dot .com dot org. or is it dot .org? See, I'm just playing it what on the top it? of my head. It is dot .org. Keeps confusing me, you guys. Um, and uh, infidels.org, a lot of great information there. We're going to provide information on atheism, on uh, pretty much everything we've talked about tonight to some degree. I do need to fix the slide. Mark updated this, and I did not. Okay, so that is the actual correct time URL if you want a copy of this presentation. Um, I do want to close the presentation with a quote, and then we can do any questions you have. So if some good evidence for life after death were announced, I'd be here to examine it. But it would have to be real scientific data, not mere anecdotes. Better the hard truth, I say. And the comforting fantasy. Carl Sagan, the Dean of the World. So I'd like to, if we have other questions about anything, anything at all, I'm completely open with you. I, I, th I think you missed one of the main arguments that I hear. Okay. Um, and that's the argument from you're going to go to hell if you don't believe this. Yeah. I, I've, I've been in a class where I was teaching Buddhism, and two people left the class. They were fundamentalist Christians. They said if they were in the classroom, while well, we talked about Buddhism, they would go to hell. But this they can't is even Pascal's hear wager. dissenting opinions. They couldn't even hear it because isn't they were so... That, isn't that set up rather well? They were so terrified that, that to doubt was to go to hell, and they were convinced of it, that it caused some real problems for the whole university. Because, because how do you teach something when a person says they fundamentally believe they will burn in hell if they stay inside that classroom? Martin Luther famously said, reason is the devil's harlot. Yes. Well, St. Augustine said some of the same stuff. Yes. But I, mean, I would just say, because the fear, the fear argument's a big one. If you don't believe this, you're going you're gonna to suffer terrible. Yep, and what they don't understand is the fact that you don't believe it means that it doesn't work on you. <laughs> so, yeah. Do atheists believe in purpose? Believe that. That's a great question. What's the purpose of life? What's your reason for living? As far as having like a, you know, a purpose for being here, or is it something that you feel it just comes as you go? You well, what I'll say about that is that no two atheists would probably answer this question the same way. I'm going to steal shamelessly from an answer that I heard from a 19-year-old student at Fresno State two weeks ago on the panel. He was, he's an atheist, and he was on the panel, and he was asked that question, what's the purpose of living if you're an atheist? And he said a couple things. First of all, he said, well, my personal, and this is my answer, my personal purpose is to live a good life where I'm happy, where my family's happy. But above and beyond that, and he, and he harkened back to something in his childhood, he said, you know, I was never a Boy Scout, but my dad was, and we went camping a lot growing up. And one of the things my dad taught me was, leave every campsite better than you found it. And I really took that to heart. And I think of this world as a big campsite, and I want to leave it better than I found it. 
So I, I think I'll leave it at that. Um, but no, do all atheists share one purpose? No. No two people share one purpose. Or do something? Does there need to be a purpose? That's that's a great question too. Many would say no, right? And I parse out terms like you use, like like teleological, uh-huh. because teleological in the in the in the original Greek just simply meant that that as beings we have purpose, whether we we don't have to have a stated purpose, but as the fact that we have human beings, we have human attributes mm-hmm. that gives us purpose. We don't need an, an ex. I mean, and that's what Aristotle or, or Plato seemed to mean when he said uh, teleology. The, the I think that. This term has been taken out of context. Yeah, and this is the this is what we hear it called and all yeah, around. Yeah, because that, because the same teleology is some sort of God imbued. The other one I would I would quibble a little bit about is arguments from authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would quibble with that because you're an authority. Okay. And you're here as an authority. And I'm sharing my experience. Right. And, and now I may challenge you, and I may test it. Absolutely. But but when I had to have open heart surgery, I looked at all the doctors that were going to do the surgery. For sure. And I did not have the time. They said I had four days before I was dead. Mm-hmm. I had four days to find the best authority to cut me up that I could. Yeah. Okay, I'm kind of curious. You only looked at doctors and not faith healers too? No. So no, you I'm, automatically dismissed a whole category of authority. Well, yeah, you're right. But, but I still looked at authority. And I, all I'm quibbling with here is the authority uh-huh. that, that, that there is a time when you go to authority. Yeah. And, and you look at, but, but you also parse out the authority. I was also a flyer in Vietnam, and, and I still did all my weights and measures, and I pulled the pins on my ordinance, and I did all that stuff. I didn't, I didn't pray my way into the sky. So if you remember the first thing I said about logical fallacies, is it's an error in reasoning, but it doesn't mean that it's actually, that the thing you're arguing is wrong if it contains. So if they say the best heart surgeon you can go to is this guy up in here, and it's because... I'll be on the computer in a second. Yeah, well, but what I'm saying, and I had a similar experience with a, a tumor in my middle ear, and I had to take someone's advice, and I went right. to Oakland. And so there is a there is a place for authority. Job. There is a place for authority. I yes, mean, a university professor, myself, I've spent years and years and years yep. studying this stuff, so okay, that well, I can present that. Well, let me tell another anecdote that kind of relates to that, and you probably know about this in, in the news recently. Um, and. Again, I think there's a logical fallacy in what these people said at the end of their paper. The study in and of itself is interesting. They told a group of of classrooms of 30 students. They said, we want you all to do a paper. It's a biology paper about this really interesting animal. It's called a tree octopus. Okay? And it's really interesting, fascinating. Hasn't been known about that long. Most people haven't heard about it. So we're going to give you a website. Best place to find out about the tree octopus. There's other sites you can go to, but it's a very comprehensive guy. Papers due in a week, and then we'll present the paper. So they did it. Every student in the class of 30 went to that website, and that website alone. They had purposely put out other articles on the internet that could be found by a Google search talking about the fact that this was a hoax. Not one student discovered it. Okay? And the, the real interesting part is when they revealed the hoax, some of the kids refused to believe that it was a hoax, even with the new evidence showing that, that, that it was. True. Now, the researchers said, well, that just proves that it's the Internet's fault. Well, I think if you gave them a textbook about they would have come to the same conclusion, but authority can be dangerous. Well, no, I always say that you should just accept authority. I just say that we need to be oh, reason in... Well, we don't all have infinity to yeah. look at everything, right? We have to... For the purpose of living normal lives, except some of that. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Just a simple question. 
Uh, do atheists celebrate holidays? And if so, which ones? It's different for all of them. I would argue that most Americans, well, maybe, yeah, okay, a lot of Americans celebrate Christmas as a secular holiday already. A lot of them don't go to church. A lot of them don't even think of the religious implications. They, it's a time of sharing and having fun with family and friends. That's why I celebrate Christmas. It's a tradition. I don't know that there's any holiday other than Easter that I completely don't celebrate. However, that being said, my girls still go and hunt Easter eggs because it's fun. Well, there's, and there's many atheists. That, and there's many atheists that still attend church because of the communion and the social aspect of it. Yeah, if you want to read an interesting study by Dan Dennett about preachers that still preach at churches even though they're atheists, because it's all they know how to do. Personally, I I have a Christmas tree every year. I don't put an angel on top, but I put a bow. But uh, I find it very interesting that Christmas trees are uh, actually against the Bible. Yeah, they're actually spoken it out uh, against in Jeremiah. And uh, because it, it was a pagan ritual, right? They wanted and some of the pagans. Winter solstice. <laughs> and Christians in England um, actually forbade Christmas trees all the way up until the mid 1800s. Well, even in early America, you can find writings of Christian groups saying, "We don't celebrate Christmas. That's a pagan holiday. We celebrate Thanksgiving." It all evolves, and uh, yeah, you know. So, so to further answer your question, sometimes we do like a solstice party or other things, just so we could still have like, get-togethers and stuff like some of that. Sure. Yeah. Okay, going back to the whole biblical thing, I think a lot of people, they read the Bible in retrospect, Old Testament lifestyle living of trying to follow God in mm-hmm. the New Testament, in a sense, world. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, there's in the, in the New Testament, there's a scripture where it's talking about, basically, uh, they're, they're talking to Jesus and they're saying, you know, well, what are you coming to break the law and counsel out the prophets? I'm not coming to break the law, come yeah. to fill the law, yeah. and you will not enter heaven unless you're more righteous than all the Pharisees. And yeah. basically, he would, people use that because he said, you know, heaven and earth will pass away. Mm-hmm. But he was saying, in a sense, that I didn't come to, okay, if I was trying to buy a house, and then the house had stipulations of what I had to do to fulfill the contract before I moved into the house. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just move into the house paint the walls, rearrange the backyard. Oh, you get in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Exactly. Until, until I fulfill the contract. Uh-huh. After I fulfill the contract, then I have a certain freedom with the house that I did not have. That doesn't abolish the contract. It merely fulfills it. Mm-hmm. So what he was trying to say was basically, I didn't come to wipe out the Old Testament completely. Mm-hmm. It's just the prophets said all these other things. And then all throughout the New Testament, it was Jesus did this, so this could be fulfilled. So it, it was a fulfillment of it. And, well, that, and that's one interpretation. Not as you know, many Christians don't agree with your interpretation. Yeah, I mean, um, the Old Testament is the easiest way to manipulate. It has everything perfect for getting you to give money. For there's plenty in the New Testament yeah. too, but um, okay. Leviticus, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's another discussion. I would recommend Bart Ehrman's book, um, the Misquoting, Misquoting Jesus, Jesus. If anyone's interested in Jesus from a completely historical perspective. This was a guy that has a divinity uh, degree. He speaks Greek. He speaks Hebrew. He's held so he's the oldest the manuscripts out there. The actual oldest ones we have, the Codex Sinaiticus. Uh, he knows this stuff, and he's a historian. And, and he, he looks at it from a historical Jesus perspective. Books. What, misquoting Jesus? Yeah. Who's the Bart Herman? E-H-R-M-A-N. One of my favorites. One of the one of the most interesting things I found out from Bart Herman is that the New Testament contains puns in the original Greek, mm-hmm. uh, but you have to be able to speak the Greek or, or have it explained to you to see the puns. Textual analysis in the Greek. Yes. Right, amazing. which is interesting because 
Jesus didn't speak. Well, you're speaking of uh, John chapter four, Nicodemus conversation. Yeah, yeah but there's things in there that presuppose that Jesus spoke Greek, even though we know he spoke Aramaic. We're getting way off subject. I love this. I can talk. We're going into the time. historical Jesus here. Yeah. Right. But uh, I think we're pretty close to landing. I was told that they'd shut me up. So, any other last questions? We're not going to shut you up. How do you ordain? New Life Ministries. It's online. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, how do how do you have? I did it solely for the purpose that I could marry friends of mine that wanted right, God on the Wasn't it? Isn't it kind of a religious experience? Not to some, maybe, but not no, to us. I, mean, I mean, the government considers it a legal contract, yeah. and I look at it that way. It doesn't justice, diminish you're it. justice of the peace. Yeah, that doesn't okay. diminish it. No, you're actually a uh, well, you're you're minister. It was 30 well, years. you ordained by? This you church, this online church. And the reason is, is because every church gets to set their own guidelines right. for what are the qualifications for. It was 30 bucks, right? No, it's free. It's well, free. It's, free. Okay, it's 30 bucks if you want the certificate on the wall, which I. I bought that too. Oh, yeah. But that's the reason I did it, and every church can choose their own, you know, criteria, and so that that's why. Their criteria is put the box, sign your name, and hit submit. That's why you need to check out your credibility of people. Yeah, and well, that's, that's, that's always been important. Argument from authority, right? Yeah, but every uh, every state could also change that. California was no longer Michigan. All right. Super. Thank, Thank you so much. <laughs>